and welcome back to Watch Once Never Again, the podcast where we watch disturbing movies so that you don't have to. I'm Dax. I'm Mary Beth. And today we're <laughs> talking about <laughs> um, a film that we don't. Yes. No, <laughs> we don't know if we want to talk about. Um, it's called Storytelling by Todd Salons. It's the third mm. in our series, um, our director series on Todd Salons. So it sure is. Um, this should be something. Um, <laughs> we're also we're also recording very early on a holiday morning, so that's different for us. Um, so you're gonna probably get weird accents and stuff. <laughs> I mean, like not super different, but just like you'll be hearing us both get caffeinated throughout so if the energy starts to shift it's because our caffeine is starting to kick in i'm drinking a mason jar of iced coffee the size of my head everyone you quite literally read my mind i was gonna ask you what you had (laughs) (laughs) specifically it's my homemade mocha and by homemade it is my cold brew that I make at home in my <laughs> that I make at home. It's my French press full of coffee that I press in the morning, uh, milk and chocolate syrup. So it's like a cheap mocha, and it's really fucking good. It's my go-to coffee. What do you have? <laughs> Wait, so do you? So you make your own cold brew in your French press? Like you make it at night and then put it in the fridge? Mm-hmm. Like, Sometimes. And press um, it in the morning. Yeah, sometimes I do that. Other times, um, like, we do French press for our hot coffee. And I don't really drink hot coffee, but Steve can't drink... Well, he can, but sometimes he doesn't finish the whole French press, so then we just refrigerate the leftovers, and I also drink that. I see. I also do French press for coffee at home. Yep, it's my favorite. I unfortunately do love a Starbucks, as you know. I also love a Starbucks, but today, well, one, it was too early and I was not going to get up early enough to walk to Starbucks. Um, And two, I got Starbucks like four days in a row. So, because I've got the pumpkin stuff and I'm a, I'm a salute for pumpkin. So I had to go. Yeah, I'm a pumpkin slut. Absolutely. My go-to order at Starbucks is two shots over ice in a grande cup with like two or three pumps of classic so i tried to do that but put pumpkin in it and that was a really huge mistake (laughs) because it was really gross it tastes like grass oh really it's horrible yeah i wonder if the milk makes it taste better (laughs) yeah i don't know i i usually i try not to get like any milk or cream in it but um for that one, I was like, this needs something in it, but I just ended up not drinking it. <laughs> it was really That's gross. so weird. <laughs> yeah. Wait, also, you Tragic. get two shots over ice. You're, you're a champ. Adopio, if you will. Ado- Adopio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two shots over ice in a grande cup. I've always wanted to meet someone who does that, and now I have, and I am so excited. I am that very bitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh i was saying i have a mexican lime ardor 
um, sparkling water, and it has caffeine in it. Okay, I also caffeinated? Drink caffeinated water. Okay, caffeinated sparkling water, though, is the shit. Like, besides coffee, like, soda doesn't really do shit for me. The caffeinated sparkling water, I get the Perrier one. Um, that shit's mm. real caffeinated. It works better than, like, than soda and, and well, and I don't like energy drinks. Um, mm-hmm. so it's like drinking, it's not the exact same, but you definitely get caffeinated. Yeah, usually they use, like, green tea extract, which is, like, super concentrated yeah. caffeine. This one has, like, yerba mate. Mine has yerba mate stuff in Have you ever had yerba mate? Oh my god, I love yerba mate, but it will fuck me up. I was like, oh, this is not that caffeinated, and then I drank it one time and thought I was gonna, like, fucking throw up. I was so caffeinated. Dude, so I, I an empty stomach. What... Empty stomach. <laughs> I don't know what yerba mate is, and at this point, I'm too scared to ask. It's a kind of tea. I know, but it like, is... what is it? Like, what does it taste like? Well, I've never had it plain, because, so yerba mate, the way that it's traditionally um, drank in, it's South American, um, and so the way that it's usually drank is in, like, this little, you have to look it up, it's like this little metal sphere with a straw in it and they make it it's like how you traditionally drink it and i think it's just it's just like tea leaves but i think it's just like kind of tastes like unsweetened tea maybe stronger Hmm. but the way i have it it's usually got like flavors and shit in it but it tastes like um it just tastes like tea to me with flavors in it I'm like it doesn't yeah like i'm picturing it being made like turkish coffee which i think is wrong. yes so, no oh, no but so right. so your so yerba mate is the plant species and then mate is what the drink is technically called and it's okay it's yeah it's in um it was it was con- first consumed um in like it was by indigenous communities before pre-colonization <laughs> Shocker. Mm. And they were tribes <laughs> that lived in Paraguay. And then uh, colonialization happened. And then they spread it through the world. Uh, thanks, colonialization. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's called um, an infusion. It's, it's called, it's not called, it's called infusion. And it's usually like a, ho- <laughs> typically a hollowed out gourd. <laughs> oh. Interesting. I always just assumed that it tasted like, um, what's that stuff people try to say is good, but it's definitely just like vinegar. It's like tea or something. Oh, kombucha. kombucha. <laughs> it's not like, it's, I it's just, it like, just like, it's that. just like vinegar. No, it's not. I also thought that, but it's like, it's not. It's not even, it's not even close to kombucha taste. Like, kombucha is like a, ooh, sour. This is just like, it tastes like you're just drinking tea. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll try it. And again, <laughs> I'm talking about the can, the canned stuff I've had from, like, Whole Foods. I haven't had the actual, like, traditional way of it with the leaves. I have just drinking it the white people way out of cans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, just uh, 
That is delicious. I know that, and Gabby from Bon Appetit, which I know is canceled now, but she had a whole, she used to have a video series and she would drink, she would make mate and drink it and talk about how it's like her favorite thing. So anyway. I love that for her. Me too. Yeah. At the Women's Center, my boss was like this hippie person who would always like drink yerba mate and like always had um essential oils like on <laughs> oh lord like, oh uh, lord fuse, like what is it like oh the infuser like diffuser? diffuser diffuser yeah diffuser yeah. yeah always all different ones and if you went in there and you're like shack my my head hurts she'd be like okay i have an essential oil for that and she put it of in quite, her oh, diffuser she, and then you have to be like yes, it totally works <laughs> one of those did you used to be a barista no i was a bartender oh we had this talk okay i was just curious as to why yeah we i've were never both so into drinks i used to work so this is like not even remotely the same as a barista i used to work at a breakfast restaurant and i used to have to make coffee drinks that's that's being a barista it's, but they weren't as like, it was like, we didn't have like a super nice espresso. It was like not as complicated. Like, I just don't call myself a barista because I feel like it's much more complicated than what I did. But I used to make coffee drinks at two jobs that I had on top of being a server. So like, True. ish. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's like bartender versus mixologist. <laughs> well, it's like. I mean, like, I never had to deal with people being like, I want, like, six shots with all these flavors. Like, I never had to deal with that shit. It was like, we only have, like, two kinds of coffee to offer you, so you either take it or you don't. <laughs> oh, okay. I see what you... I see what you yeah. mean. Like, we didn't have, like, lattes and cappuccinos and shit. Well, the other job I had had that. Mm. But we were also, like, a, it was like, you would get that at the end of the night. Or with brunch. So... But most people came there for alcohol, so that wasn't as complicated. Anyway. I see. Wow, this has been <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> Riveting, if you will. Riveting caffeine talk at 9.30 in the morning on Labor Day. <laughs> Hell yeah. Because well, we don't want to talk about some of the weird shit in this movie. <laughs> yep. I mean... Well, we'll get it's into not, it. I already said I Not like necessarily it, so. I don't want to talk about it, but it's just going to be weird to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Um, okay, so it's called Storytelling, um, starring <laughs> one of my favorite people, Selma Blair, for a hot uh, minute. Those pink, that her pink hair is everything. I know, to be honest with you, like... I never am attracted to Selma Blair. I just really like her as an actor. But in this one, I was like, wait, you're kind of hot. <laughs> I, I, I think she's gorgeous, but like, this is her hottest. And I think, I think it's the pink hair and her being like a sad grad student. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, what is that about probably... me that's attracted to this person? <laughs> and I, I know. I was like, don't interrogate this much, Mary Beth. Just like walk away. And then like things kept happening. I was like, mm, I don't know. Now I feel weird for thinking she's hot. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm normally like, I think she's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not normally like 
Ooh, Selma Blair, I have a crush she's on more her. Your t- <laughs> she's more your type in <laughs> this one with the pink hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, storytelling. Um, it's in two parts. So, it says, from Wikipedia, the film consists of two stories that are unrelated and have different actors, titled fiction and nonfiction. College and high school serve as the backdrop for these two stories about dysfunction and personal turmoil. Thanks for that fucking weird introduction. Vi, played by Selma Blair, (laughs) is a graduate student dating an undergrad, Marcus, who has cerebral palsy, though he observes that she no longer seems passionate about their relationship. They are in a creative writing class taught by a famed African-American author, Mr. Scott, played by Robert Wisdom. Marcus has written an amateurish story about the effect of Vi's love on his medical condition, and she encourages him to share it in the class's workshop. While other students give it a tepid praise, Mr. Scott and his favorite student, Catherine, harshly dismiss it as mediocre trash. Upset, (laughs) Marcus angrily (laughs) blames Vi for not warning him against sharing the story and breaks up with her, accusing her of being secretly attracted to Mr. Scott. Hurt and heartbroken, Vi goes out to a bar and encounters Mr. Scott. She thanks him for being honest about Marcus's story, praises his writing, and asks if he thinks she will make a great writer. He tells her that she does not. After, <laughs> or, at, he tells her that he does he does not. So he does not think she will be a great writer. Um, after she flirts movie, with this him, is a, this is a humbling this is a humbling movie for a writer. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, yeah, we will, we will discuss that. that. (laughs) Um, After she flirts with him clumsily, they return to his residence, where she discovers photos of Catherine naked and in various poses, which triggers an unwanted racist reaction in Vi. Though she becomes uncomfortable, she reluctantly has anal sex with Mr. Scott, an act which is censored by a large red square, depending (laughs) on the version that you watched. Um, which we will talk about. During the act, he makes her call him an ethnic slur. That really horrible one. The N-word. Yeah, um, the N-word. After... Just, for cl- just for clarification, everybody, in case you're wondering. <laughs> hey, you never... There's so many. No, <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, just so called. y'all know. That is, the, that is the one. It is the one that you shouldn't say. Um, Afterwards, Vi returns to Marcus in tears and reconciles with him. Uh, Later, back in the class workshop, Vi shares a fictionalized version of her encounter with Mr. Scott. The other students are appalled by the story's content, and Catherine calmly eviscerates the piece, claiming that Vi is an arrogant... Well, the fictionalized version of Vi is an arrogant, narcissistic, fetishist, and racist. When Marcus and Vi defend the piece as being a real experience, an unimpressed Mr. Scott informs them that when she starts writing about an experience, it becomes fiction, and that the story is nevertheless an improvement over her other works because there is, quote, now at least a beginning, a middle, and an end, end quote. And that's the end of that part. So the next part is titled Nonfiction, and it's quite a bit longer. Weren't you surprised by that? I was. I was, yeah, I was very surprised about how this was divided up in terms of timing. Yeah, well, 
We'll get to that, too. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, nonfiction. Toby Oxman, played by Paul Giamatti, is a struggling would-be filmmaker attempting to make his first documentary. Though he originally intends to make a film about the experiences of teenagers post-Columbine on a wide scale, he is eventually forced to limit his scope to one dysfunctional upper-middle-class suburban New Jersey family and their teenage son, Scooby, played by Mark Webber. Which, why is that his name? Yeah, I know. I had so many questions about that. but yeah. <laughs> like, What is it short for? I don't even know. Scoobert. Oh, of course. <laughs> Silly me. Um, his father, <laughs> the strict and unsympathetic Marty, played by John Goodman, Ugh, is yes. frustrated with Scooby's lazy attitude and unwillingness to attend college. While his football player brother Brady worries that Scooby is a, is secretly gay, and his obnoxious youngest brother Mikey is obliviously self obsessed. I cannot Scooby... wait to talk about Mikey. Oh <laughs> I know. my god! Anyway, that's a, that's a little spicy one. Um, <laughs> Specy spicy. <laughs> Scooby's only vague ambition is to be famous. We and have a talk show on television like his idol Conan O'Brien, who appears to him in a dream sequence as Scooby allows a love-struck friend to perform oral sex on him. Scooby intentionally oh, yeah. flunks his exams. <laughs> Scooby intentionally flunks his exams, but to his surprise, he finds that he's been accepted to Princeton University, which Marty privately reveals was because of a large donation from a family member. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. Mikey torments the family's overworked, underpaid, and exhausted housekeeper, Consuelo, exercising his privileged and sheltered upbringing to badger her with questions that emphasize the discrepancy between their lifestyles. She reveals that she she is still poor, has no time for any personal activities due to the constant demands from the family, and that her beloved grandson has been executed after being arrested for rape and murder. The self-centered Mikey only continues ordering her around. Later, Brady suffers a serious accident during football practice and falls into a deep coma. Mikey takes advantage of Marty's vulnerability over Brady's condition <laughs> to perform <laughs> to perform hypnotism on him, during which he commands himself to be Marty's new favorite son and orders Marty f- to fire Consuelo for petty reasons. He says that she's lazy. Um, miraculously, the hypnosis works perfectly. Marty fires Consuelo, despite her tearful pleading, much to Mikey's smug enjoyment. After the documentary is finished and Toby refuses to let him see the completed footage, Scooby secretly attends a late-night screening where he witnesses the audience laughing uproariously at his dim-witted portrayal. Realizing that he will never be famous, Scooby is left devastated. While he is away, a vengeful Consuelo sneaks back into the house and murders the rest of the Livingstons by poisoning the house with carbon monoxide. Scooby returns home. (laughs) Scooby returns home the next morning to find emergency emergency services wheeling his deceased family into an ambulance. Toby, back with a camera crew, runs up to Scooby to tearfully apologize for what's transpired, but an emotionless and jaded Scooby coldly tells him uh, not to be sorry because, quote, the movie's a hit. So, um, 
that's technically the end of the movie, but Wikipedia does give us a little bit about um, a cut scene, like a cut part, which is called autobiography. So I'll just read that. It's pretty short because it yeah. doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, it says the original version of the film featured a third story entitled Autobiography concerning, among other things, a closeted football player played by James Vanderbeek. The main character has an explicit sex scene with a male partner played by Stephen Rosen. Um, the entire story was cut from the final version. And I don't know if there are real reasons why, but some people have guessed that it's because James Vanderbeek was on uh, Dawson's Creek and that the powers that be might not be happy with like his portrayal. But then that doesn't make sense because I think... Um, what's that really horrible movie? Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, written by uh, Brett Easton Ellis... Um, American Horror Story. Not American Horror Story. What is wrong with me? American Psycho? (laughs) No. No, it's not American Psycho. Um, Oh, Less Than Zero? Sussman's in it. No. Is it Less Than Zero? Rules of Attraction. Oh, Rules of Attraction. Okay. I knew there was another one. Yeah. (laughs) He's in Rules of Attraction, which is pretty raunchy, I would say. So I don't. It's probably well, just okay, so I right? <laughs> well, so what I I found like this. It's linked in the Wikipedia, and it's an um, it's an article from two thousand and two on Entertainment Weekly. It's like an archive article that kind of talks about the fact that James Vanderbeek's part got completely cut, and um, I think there's no like actual um like reason given but it sounds like it was an mpaa issue because he wasn't supposed to add we thought we can kind of i might have mentioned this another red box that's in the sex scene between selma blair and her professor that was added because of the mpaa and obviously i think we talked about this with happiness um Talons and the mpaa have a, a storied past <laughs> because salons <laughs> really likes to make crazy shit um and um apparently we didn't really talk about that if you want to elaborate oh just like because all of his themes are so wild and there's so much like not in happiness necessarily because there's not like explicit sex but obviously we're dealing with pedophilia and here um it's a much more like graphic sex scene apparently it's basically trying to like appeal the mpaa so they can get a theatrical release so they can make more money and I'm I'm thinking I'm a, I'm going to make an assumption here that the fact there it was like explicitly like gay sex because like you said homophobia from the MPAA I have a feeling that they just cut it all entirely because of that content. Um, but Selma Blair also said to said that like she was supposed to have a much bigger part in the movie, but a lot of it got cut, and also. Heather Matarazzo was supposed to be in it too. I we think she robbed. was in the. I think she was in the third, the third segment. So it sounds like they just axed an entire segment, most likely due to rating issues. But again, this doesn't have any like super concrete answers. Um, but it it feels a little bit like that maybe. 
That's so. really unfortunate. Because yeah. the movie could have done with that scene. I mean, I guess we can get into it. But um, for people who don't know, do you want to talk about the red box like a little bit more? Yeah. For sure. So the, I, the red box is in the version I watched on Amazon because I rented this on Amazon. Um, oh, yeah. I was going to ask this, you actually. which version. <clears throat> yeah. So I, this is so weird. I knew about this scene, but had no context that it was in this movie and it was a by Todd Salons at all. I just mm-hmm. knew about it. Um, I don't remember yeah. how. I th- Oh, I watched a documentary um, called This Film Is Not Yet Rated about the MPAA like rating system and how corrupt it is and how hard it is to get things rated the right way and all these weird loopholes and like how sex is not as is 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 worse than violence, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this mm, scene was I in like that, that movie. One. And I was like really transfixed by that when I saw it. I was like, oh my God, what movie is this? Left it in my mind and now I'm watching it. But anywho. Um, there, it's the scene where, you know, Selma Blair is consenting to have sex with her professor, but, um, it kind of skates, not even skates the line, it becomes assault because he basically forces her to have, uh, anal sex with him. And when they pull it, like, not pull, sorry for pull out, like, pun not intended, I swear. Um, when the camera, like, pans out to a wider shot of the two of them fucking against the wall. There's a giant red box over it. And there's like close-ups of her face when she is saying, being asked to say uh, a racial slur. He is telling her, say it. And she says it, the camera's on her face. And then again, we pan out and you see the red box. You can't see anything. You just hear the dialogue. And I was like, (laughs) I... (laughs) The mental gymnastics I was doing to, like, understand what it was before researching it. I was like, Todd Salon's making a commentary on sexuality on screen. That's very interesting. (laughs) And then I look it up and it's like, no, it was because the MPAA sucks. And I was like, well, you know what? That makes way more sense. And like, he's trying to make an artistic commentary about the way we view sexuality on screen. Oops. Like, I think... I think he partially was, but I think mostly he was being like, uh, fuck you. It's just interesting to me that... Oh, know, 100%. The, M- the MPAA only cared about the sex. They didn't care about the racism. L- <laughs> literally her yelling the N-word over and over again. And, and again, like, it's, to be it's clear, that weird. he's making her... Yeah, like, he's asking her, not even asking is not the right word here, No, demanding, he's being aggressive, um, yeah. Sexually demanding, yelling at her to say it, and she's yelling it pretty loud, um, so it's a very weird, it's, it's, uh, it is such a Salon's thing to have this in a movie, you know what I mean? Because yes. it's, like, the epitome of him having the most uncomfortable scenario humanly fucking possible and then just making us sit in it. I think this movie is a, such a shining example. I don't know if shining is the right word. It is, a, it is. I think, out of the three movies I've seen of his so far, it is the pinnacle of how he loves to utilize silence because this movie is literally just a series of long, awkward conversations that will never fucking end. Yes. Yes. And while the sex scene is obviously not a conversation, it just keeps going and keeps going. And you're like, I want to die. 
And it's also, there's so much, there's a lot of race stuff going on here. Because as soon as there was, like, as soon as he introduced a black professor, I was like, not to make terrible assumptions, but Salons does these things. And I'm horrified about what he's about to do here with race. <laughs> like, I was like, there's something very weird about to happen here. Um, it didn't fully go the way I was worried it was going to go. But I still think, like... The way in having a black man be very violent with a young white student is fascinating optics that I don't, I know this was made in 2002, but still like, hmm, I don't know about all that. Yeah, it's really difficult to, to watch. Um, I watched the (laughs) unrated version. So there was no black or no red box on mine uh, because I have the DVD. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I had never seen this before, but I had started it before. And I, in my opinion, this is like the least engaging one that we've watched. And um, I agree. Yeah. So I had turned it off like pretty quickly like during the sex scene because I remember seeing that um and I was just like I, I can't watch this right now <laughs> like, I remember it's just like that. it's just it's it's one of these things that is like so shocking but then you're like okay you shocked me now what and then nothing really comes of it like she has forced anal with her professor who has her yell a racial slur and then she goes and writes a story about it and then it's over you know what i mean like it's just like you just want it it was it just felt like it was meant to shock and on top of that she has sex with her her boyfriend who's an undergrad who has cerebral palsy but that also like calls him ableist slurs too Mm. So there's just, like, a lot of slurs being, like, thrown around here. And it's, like, I'm trying to, like, dis... It's, like, one of these situations where, like, I'm trying to disengage and, like, from that a little bit. Not entirely, because there's, like, it's impossible to disengage from that. But, like, trying to, like, look past it. Not even past it, but, like, understand why he might be doing that. And it literally, my only conclusion here is just, like, him saying fuck you to being politically correct... And, like, he wants to show how, like, shock. And I don't know. Like, and the second one we can talk, I think, has more depth to talk about. Because this first one, I'm just like, what? Like, are, what is this? Like, it, it just kind of felt like a little bit, like, <sighs> film student trying to make a point. I know it sounds mean, but here I am. <laughs> well, it kind of is that. It's, like, it's more like a um, film writer trying to make a point. In my opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> I guess just to be more specific, because, you know, he he's obviously pissed off about, like, you know, PC politics or whatever with the MPAA. Um, but he's also, it seems like he's, like, talking about his critics a lot. Like, I, I got the feeling that all the students are supposed to be, like, basically like film critics talking about his work i think he sees himself as like the selma blair character um 
<laughs> I don't know. Some of it did make me laugh. Um, like, <laughs> it did make me laugh that she kept being like, don't be racist, don't be racist. And then as soon as she goes out there, he makes her not only be racist, but say, like, the worst thing that she could say. And I don't know. That made me laugh, but it was, like, an uncomfortable, like... <laughs> Like, haha, that's ironic, but I was cringing also because I was like, I don't want to yeah. hear this. And I especially it's... don't want to hear it for an extended period of time, like over and over again. Over and over. In like sexual ecstasy is probably not the right again like they they this whole scene between the two of them is like, it is, it is assault because he forces her to have anal sex, but like it's, it's this weird line that is very uncomfortable because I don't know, this is weird. And then, but I do, I do laugh at the like creative writing classes where people are sharing their stories and everyone's like, "This is fucking terrible." Like, absolutely love that. But it just, <laughs> as someone who loves to use her own personal life experiences and traumas for writing, it just makes me laugh that she wrote this like explicit fiction piece. Everyone's like, "You're terrible," and it just makes me darkly laugh because again the both of us have like, I obviously don't I don't write creative anything creative at the moment I just do nonfiction, but it's still like it's just like the creative art process of people telling you and like trying to give you constructive criticism like he does nail that like I do that made me laugh so much because I also had a, friend, a, a fun anecdote that's not my anecdote a friend so one of my best friends in college and now, um, she writes poetry and she writes a lot of creative nonfiction. And she was in a creative nonfiction class where someone who was art was the valedictorian of her class. She was two years older than me. Wrote a whole story about her brownie kink and shared it with the class and like read it to the class. Now, I I are you like My Little Pony? Yes. Okay, because I heard brownie at first, and I was like, no, oh, what's no, that? pardon me. Brony. <laughs> oh, yes. boy. So, um, I don't I'm know sorry, much more you said that. she wrote, she wrote, like, a story about her own brony kink? Yeah, because it, it was a creative nonfiction class, so you had to write nonfiction. And so she was pulling from, she wrote about her kink with her partner that involved My Little Pony, and read it to the class for critique. How did how did they react? I would give anything to read that by the way. I I know. I have to, I I'm actually seeing her today. I'm going to ask her again. But I remember I think because the and like the professor was old too and I think it was just like everyone was kind of in a state of like what do we even say? Cuz like yeah. As from what I remember it was like people were kind of stunned into silence. And like this person, sure. this person is was such a strange person. Like in like they already we already knew her as a as like kind of odd. So the um, who Vi the the woman who wrote the brony art the art what is wrong with me who wrote uh, the brony piece in college. <laughs> Like, she had already done some weird shit that we all knew about, but so that was just, like, icy, like, cherry on top of us being, like, she's a little bit out there, and then she wrote that for class, so. Oh, I thought you were saying your friend yeah. wrote that. 
No, not my friend. Um, my friend was just in the class where she had to offer constructive criticism to the person who wrote it. Okay. And she didn't know uh, what to do. Because you were being, you're being very calm about your friend having written about this. Oh, I wouldn't have. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. This would be a much different story if it was my friend. No, my friend just witnessed it and heard it and absorbed it and has just (laughs) traumatized her ever since. Oh, I would give anything to hear it. I know. So would I. I'll get more information today. Yes, please. But anyway. Um, yeah, I, I thought the criticism, like, the the people in her class were really funny. Um, not, I guess not really funny, but it was, as as writers, I'm sure you've, like, heard similar stuff oh my God. or seen, well, witnessed similar things. <laughs> well, those were my favorite parts because... Same. And again, I think it's because, like, relatability and that kind of, like, in terms of, like that but it's, it's just something again ta- like salons is so good at making these situations awkward and getting criticism on your piece live in front of like a classroom is the worst experience of ever in my opinion um and so he just makes it so much more uncomfortable especially when um marcus reads his story and the professor just rips it apart I was like, this is my worst nightmare. Like, this is, this is every nightmare I've had about going to school driven up to a thousand. You know what I mean? Like, he does, it's like, I appreciate how well he captures, like, the awkwardness and is able to make it so deeply uncomfortable. But then he layers on top, like, the racial slurs. And I'm like, no, no, why, (laughs) why though? I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know you just want to shock uh, me, but it's weird. <laughs> Stop. It was just making me anyway. laugh a little bit, like, how realistic the class was. Because, like, I just got out of a, like, I one of my first classes, it's a mandatory class at Columbia, is called University Writing. And um, I took a subsect oh, of it yeah. that was about film. And oh performance boy. art. That's right. I remember. Uh huh. Yeah, it was. It's a notoriously like difficult class, and um, everybody in my specific school has to take it. So, again, I took the one that was about film and performance art, and so <laughs> it literally was like a round table where everybody is just like. It's awkward because, you know, most people want to see something positively, but then you'll hear something and you're like, why the fuck would you write that? Like, you know, and then you have to politely be like, well, I don't know, I, you know, who am I? But I thought it was like shitty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wait. Yes. Okay. Can I share another story about academia? I'm sorry. I just have way too many yeah. academia. Like this, that just unlocked. That just unlocked something. So when I was in grad school, we also had a similar. We all had to take a class that was notoriously impossible, and like just incredibly difficult. But we were all split up into groups, and we were split up by our like our research interests. So I was in like a film 
focus group. But it wasn't like about film. It was about philosophy and I hated every fucking second of it. But that's neither here nor there. Um, We had to read, I can't remember what we read, but it was written by a black philosopher and um, the N-word was used in it. And a white guy who was really weird was reading it out loud and kept saying the N-word instead of censoring himself. And so we were like, hey, dude, like, why did you do that? And he got really defensive and then dropped out of the program. As he should. What the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) We were all like, well, because we were all like, dude, what the fuck? Like, there's no need for you to say that. Like, and he's like, why are you censoring me? And we were like, we're not. You just shouldn't say the N-word. Like, we can all read it. It's right in front of us. Like, you don't need to say it as a white guy. And then he was like, y'all are just so fucking woke and annoying. And then he dropped the program. Yep. <laughs> yep. We're all like, just so woke well, and annoying. You're he not was racist. the worst. Anyway, I just... I hate people yeah. like that. I hate people... First of all, oh, boo-hoo, you're such a fucking victim. But then also, it's like... Why aren't you letting um, me say the N-word? Because you don't need to say yeah. it, you fucking moron. Like, you're just trying to shock us, and we're telling you to stop. And he, he's like, you're just mean. Don't I'm even like, me you're like 40. Grow up. Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I just... I this just this guy was like 40. He was like older than all of us. But like, it's just... Fucking loser. Like, I mean, be 40 and go to school, sure. Mm-hmm. But, like, he is a loser <laughs> because of racism. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he, he's, like, one of those guys who's, like, um, oh, we gotta take the power out of the word. It's just a word. Like, dude, you don't get to make that choice. <laughs> like, until you, yeah, you're an, like, you're have an old, more like, melanin dude. in your skin. <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't get to decide that for black people. Um, God damn it. That just makes me so fucking... And annoyed. there was not... <laughs> anyway. There was not a single... There was not a single person of color in that classroom, either. So he probably felt super safe to say it. Yeah, and then we were a bunch of us were like... Mm. No, like, just because you're in a classroom full of white people does not give you the right to say that. No. And I definitely would have yelled. So. Oh, God. And our, um. um, Yeah, our, it was so fucking, anyway. (laughs) Wait, 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 tell me, what were you saying? I think there's just a little lag, so tell me what you were saying about your professor. There's a lag, yeah. But, so, we were led it wasn't a professor it was a pre it was called a preceptor and it was a phd student and our preceptor was notoriously like we hated him he was useless like he was the a definition of useless white boy film student um we were all like matt are you gonna do anything about this He's like what i was like you're literally like the person in charge in this classroom and you're not gonna say anything and he was like and then he just didn't say like he just didn't have an answer i was like What's the point of you? <laughs> why even... Whatever. I was going to say, why even assign that? But, I mean, it's important it to was read, a, I guess. You just don't need it was to a, say the word. 
I wish I could fucking remember what it was too, like what the piece was, because it was a it was an important thing to read because we were like we were re- it was a section on race theory, like critical race theory, and like mm. because the whole class was built around teaching us like philosophy, like the basis of philosophy and theories and stuff. Like so we had like so our more realized humanities grad students, um, and so it was like the critical race theory portion and. This guy was not. Oh, and, oh, it was critical race theory, and then it went to gender. And when we were reading um, Judith Butler, he got pissed off about pronouns, too. When was this? What year was this? Uh, 2018. It's <laughs> <laughs> not that God. long ago. Yeah, 20, yeah, it was 2018 to 2019. He did not make it to 2019 in our program. <laughs> I'd have been like, get a fucking grip, Snowflake. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it was, though. I was like, you're being weird about us being woke, but you're the one crying about not being able to, like, say the N-word and being weird about pronouns. Like, you sound like the Snowflake. I have made this podcast about my (laughs) academic experiences. I apologize. (laughs) It's because I don't want to talk about this part because it makes me so uncomfortable. It's fine. It's just, it is what it is. Like, that happens. I think it's funny that all of the students assumed that what she was writing didn't happen in real life because I think. And that it was like. A lot of. What was that? Sorry. Then that, like, she, she is like a fantasy of hers. It's like, it's like they're think they're projecting that it's her fantasy, not the professor's fantasy, like the black guy's fantasy. Which I think is very funny. That in a fucked up sort of way. And and it seems obvious that he fucks his students like quite often and um her oh, boyfriend yeah. even says that at a point. But yeah. we're like, <laughs> well surely he him. must have some boundaries. But he doesn't. Um just everyone like in natural Todd Salon's film fashion, everyone kinda sucks. So like the professor has no like boundaries between you know ethical boundaries because I I don't think it's technically illegal but it's just like a a bad power dynamic there like between student and professor and then she sucks a little bit she's like ableist she obviously do- is actually a little racist because she has to remind herself not to be racist um, and then even like her boyfriend <laughs> is just a piece of shit. I just, oh god! And I knew as soon as I, that guy is in Kids. Did I tell you this? You never saw Kids yet, right? No, I haven't seen Kids. No. <laughs> he plays um, the lead character Telly in Kids, and so I was just watching this, and I'm like, "Why are you always a shit? Like, is that just who you are?" <laughs> I don't know. It yes, was the answer a- is yes. It was kind of like a um offensive depiction of someone with cerebral palsy also. Okay, yes, let's go back let's go to that really quick. Because I was like in my head I'm like, hmm, I wonder if they cast someone who actually has CP. Of course they wouldn't have cerebral palsy. Like why would they do that ever? And I was like, have you ever met someone with cerebral palsy? (laughs) Like ever? The answer is no. I do know some people with cerebral palsy. Not you. And they do... No, 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 I know. I'm just saying, like, 
I do know some people who do look and sound like that, but just the fact that I knew that he didn't have it and was, like, putting that on, I don't know, it was, like, gross to me, and I was like, this is, that, that for some reason, made it, like, a little offensive to me. Well, I agree, it's like, he talks out of the side of his mouth, and he has one of his hands, like, one of his arms kind of, like, curled up. And he has, like doesn't really have full function of one of his hands, which again, like these things can happen if you have cerebral palsy. It's not universal, but it is like something that can happen. But the way he's doing it is it just like he's carrying himself like like a kind of stereotypical someone who has a disability. You know what I mean? Like it isn't it isn't like oh yeah. a nuanced thing. It's a guy playing like oh I have a disability. Look at me, and it's like oh, you're just playing what everyone thinks. And and it's not, it's like, you're not even trying to play cerebral palsy. You're just trying to play disabled guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just blanket. Yeah. To me. It was just This like, guy's disabled. Rude. Look at him. And it's like, yeah, it's incredibly rude. And at one point, like, V calls him a, like, not a racial slur, what am I saying? V calls him an ableist slur. And I'm like, we just, I'm just tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it did make me laugh though when we don't see him read his whole story. We just, um, we see after they have sex, he's like, oh, I I changed the end of my story. Do you want to hear it? And she's like, again. And he's like, well, I I changed it. And she seemed like annoyed. (laughs) So that's how you know it's going to be bad. Well, that was also my fucking favorite, like, before I kind of realized like, oh, good Lord. But like such an art, like such a fucking liberal arts student experience of like okay cool you just had finished fucking now can i read you my shitty short story (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was like incredible i love that experience because we've all had and i was like okay this might be great and then it it went downhill but at one point he's reading his story and he goes i don't i don't i don't have cerebral palsy i'm a cerebral person and everyone's like (laughs) what and like i'm sorry but it was such like a it was just I laughed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I think you're supposed to laugh because his story is, we again, we don't see the whole or hear the whole thing, but we hear the last couple lines and they're just so bad. They, they're so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> um, it's just like such a, it's such a, like a watered down, constrained story about disability you can tell you know what i mean like the way he yeah. reads the final lines it's like okay so he's trying to use his experience as inspiration for a story but it falls flat entirely <laughs> and you can tell that people at first are trying not to rip into his story because like oh no he's disabled we can't be mean and then <laughs> it changes very quickly at least that's the vibe i got i feel like they were trying to be nice they were they definitely because... were trying to be nice <laughs> then Catherine just is like nah son what do I know but this is fucking terrible (laughs) she said I'm afraid I found the whole thing like trite and flat footed or something and (laughs) it was just like I was like okay like I mean she ain't wrong it's just so deeply uncomfortable I like wanted to shut my laptop and take a walk i was like oh this is terrible they're not wrong but like uh being in that classroom when you've experienced something like someone getting their ass handed to them it's just like oh i want to die yeah for real it is always awkward and um 
he he somehow does blame it on Vi and says, like, if you had just been honest, I wouldn't have read it. I knew it was shit, but, like, I believed you. It's like, dude, if you knew it was shit, then you knew it was shit. <laughs> yeah, like, that, that just sounds like you're projecting your own bullshit and trying to blame a woman. Yeah, and he looks so proud of himself when he read the final line. I was like, girl, I don't think that hit the way you thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, that should be hitting different and not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, it was... It was really terrible, so that did make me laugh. Um, um, yeah, do we want to move so, on to the next segment? Yeah, let's just so, do it. <laughs> so the next segment is nonfiction, like we, we talked about, and there isn't a connection, really, between the two, other than they deal with storytelling in some way. Um, yeah, there isn't really much of a connection between the two of them. Again, it's like an antho- it's like it feels like an anthology. It's like nove- novellas in film form, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um and did you notice that it had a theme song by Bell and Sebastian? I knew Bell and Sebastian did all the music and I I knew and I noticed that the nonfiction has like it sounds like <laughs> like sitcom music. It felt like to yeah. me a little bit. Well, the, just there's like a overarching like theme yeah. song like about storytelling, and it made me realize that "Welcome to the Dollhouse" and "Happiness" also both have like theme songs just for the movie. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because "Welcome to the Dollhouse," I don't think that's like a real song, is it? I have no idea. <laughs> I think it's just for the movie. If, if it is, someone let me know, but I'm pretty sure it was just for the movie. And then that cool. song that Joy sings in Happiness, obviously, um, is just for oh, the yeah. movie. So maybe that's his thing. I didn't realize oh. that until this time. Anyway. Interesting. Um, so this one is much longer, like you said, and it is much more complicated. Um, it's, it's much longer, and I feel like we're going to talk about it much shorter (laughs) well because it's like it's not there's a lot to unpack but it's not as much as like trying to like navigate racial slurs and more just like it's it's got happiness vibes and that it's like suburban people having weird experiences and us all being like jesus christ you're all insane um so when so paul the section starts off with paul giamatti toby oxman on the phone with someone he used to i think he was dated in high school and he's like, this is the most awkward phone conversation. Again, like, this whole movie is just long conversations. So this section opens with him on the phone with, like, an old high school fling. And she's a producer. And he's, like, I think trying to be like, oh, I'm making a movie. But it is just, like, long, awkward pauses. Again, Solange does not care about silence and awkward pauses. And it is, I respect that, but I hate it at the same time. Because it is so fucking awkward to watch. I would have been so fucking mad if someone did that to me and called me after like 15, 20 years. Just, and not for a reason. Well, no. I think he secretly wanted her to produce his film, I guess. That's what my thought was. That it was like, oh, you're a producer, huh? And she's like, not anymore. And he's like, oh. And he's like trying to make small talk. And she's like, I, I, have, I have to go. Like, bye. <laughs> What? Yeah, I would have been uh, really annoyed. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah that like, was really she's awkward. Like, 
Well, and she was like, you didn't take me to prom. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. So there's like a lot of weird vibes here already that he like <laughs> is not going to acknowledge. And to be fair, she actually was pretty nice that whole time. She didn't sound annoyed, but if I were her, I would have been really annoyed. She stood on the phone way longer than I would have. Well, actually, no, I lied. I would have been her talking to the person. I can't. Let's not. Let me not hate myself as a meaner person than I am. I'm bad at being mean to people. (laughs) (laughs) I just know this about myself. Um, So then we have... Okay, so... When we go from Toby to the family of Scooby, I was very worried this was going to be another story about pedophilia. Like, I fully was ready Me for too. Paul Giamatti to try to, like, rape Scooby. Yes, yeah, um, same. He didn't, thank God, because I was going to be like, all right, Todd Salon, this is your third movie about pedophilia. What is happening here, my man? But <laughs> we didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> one thing we didn't have to worry about in this thank goodness <laughs> thank god it's the little um, things it's the little things but it's like this guy it's it becomes this like much more todd salons type film where like this kid who's lives in a rich neighborhood in new jersey like they've got a giant house they have a housekeeper but he wants to be like everything is so hard for me and everything is bullshit so like He's trying to be like, everything is so rough, but you obviously are like, buddy, you have everything you could ever want. Like, shut the fuck up. But also his family sucks. So I'm like, I get it. Your dad, John Goodman, heart, love that man. It's just like John Goodman is a typical dad who's just like, you have to attend college. And I had fucking flashbacks because my family was obsessed with me going to college, like obsessed. And so I got flashbacks um, to that, those conversations about college. Um, but then once again, they have these conversations at the dinner table and he, and we all know that family dinner dinners are, uh, always awkward, at least as someone whose parent, whose mom always wanted to have dinner at the table because she like, that was like the one thing she wanted to hold on to for their family. Um, and guess where most of our fights broke out? <laughs> the family dinner table. So I did love those scenes because Jesus Christ is someone who grew up in like a middle class family and a mom who tried to make us all sit together and have time together. Very, very funny. But so those those scenes, especially with like the younger brothers trying to like say their piece and wanting to be included. It's just very funny to see how those moments unfold, because as the oldest of three, Again, similar scenarios of, like, my parents talking to me about something, the middle kid trying to say something, and then getting thrown out of the dining room, the little boy, like, the little youngest being like, I want attention. It's just, Salons does really nail those family dynamics really well in a way that is fascinating and terrifying. And so, yeah, I love, I love those awkward moments because they are deeply uncomfortable and I think that's what he's really good at. And he's trying to make you uncomfortable and shock you without using uh, racial slurs. So, you know, love that for the movie. Mm. It's funny you bring that up, though, because every time I see, like, a dinner scene like that, where, like, the whole family is eating dinner, I always think that's unrealistic. But actually, like, a lot of people do that. Um, yeah. I just didn't do that. <laughs> but because I didn't do it, I'm like, well... I think most people probably don't. 
Well, it's funny because it's so funny because, like, I had a lot of friends who didn't do that. And I was just like, oh, your mom doesn't, like, make you all sit together for dinner. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, Jesus. I mean, like, it was nice, (laughs) but it was always where we fought. So, like, it sucked. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like. (laughs) Yeah, it's more like hereditary dinner table. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm not joking. Like, sometimes, like, a lot of the time it was. um, Not, you know, whatever. Not to be shitty about my upbringing but i will be shitty about my upbringing (laughs) anyway (laughs) can we talk about mike can we talk about the little kid mikey please uh as soon as i saw him i hated him because he's just one of those little like those little kids who like looks like a tiny adult person you know i hate them (laughs) todd salon's hates little kids in this movie i swear to god because he all of his movies welcome to the dollhouse happiness and this one all have families with like a five five person family with three kids and the youngest actually we don't really see the youngest in happiness but in welcome to the dollhouse the youngest sister is a little brat too and her little tutu and demanding everyone's attention it's like does todd salons really hate the youngest kid in the family like i want to know more about his relationship to his younger siblings if he has any i would argue in happiness that the youngest kid is joy and she gets the most shit oh that's right joy uh, sorry i was thinking about the maple woods because they have chloe their youngest daughter who oh yeah see, which also in its own right is it's like um but i literally wrote this child mikey this child mikey is more evil than damien from the omen holy fuck <laughs> for real i hate this kid I was n- I have never been happier to see a kid die in a movie, which is so terrible to say. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my like, god. I okay, but let that was not that was not solidified until he talked to Consuela. Is it Consuela or Consuelo? Because I thought it was Consuela, and he just kept calling her Consuelo because he's a little fucker. Like I'm not quite sure what was yeah, happening. He there. kept saying Consuelo, but that seems wrong to me. I think her name is Consuela, but. This poor woman, like, we obviously have this, like, very obvious contrast in, like, the upper middle class house here. And then Consuela, who is their housekeeper, who is old, and she is constantly looks like she is struggling to do stuff around the house because she's older. Like, she's an older woman who is, you can assume, is exhausted taking care of his family, but she's completely underappreciated. And there's this dynamic between her and Mikey where Mikey is just fucking biggest little shit to her and says things like your job really isn't that bad it's not like real work like you should be you should smile more and be happy that you have this job and i was like i'm gonna punt this kid into the sun and then he goes to pour himself grape juice spills it everywhere and instead of cleaning it up himself he goes consuelo i spilled grape juice goes to find her she's crying because her grandson was executed for rape and murder which is like a whole other thing and then the kid is like, they have a conversation, it's annoying, and then the kid goes, hey, uh, can you go clean up the grave juice off the floor? Yeah, it's like a, like, touching heart to heart, and then he, like, not even heart to heart, she's pouring her heart out, and then he's like, okay, yeah, well, there's grape juice, like, There's grape juice on the floor, and then hypnotizes his dad to fire her, because she's too lazy, and I was like... I hope this kid, something bad happens to this kid, and it did. So, you know what? (laughs) 
someone will call me out and I'll get cancelled, but you know what? This character is fucking nightmarish. Consuela yeah, pulled a mid pulled a midsummer on them hoes. I thought I I knew that he was gonna like um fade to black before anything happened with the house because i can just tell at this point that's his style he wouldn't show you what happens but i thought that there was going to be an explosion like i was waiting die Mm -hmm. like i knew we wouldn't see the explosion so when i just read wikipedia and it said carbon monoxide i was actually very surprised so was i because there's a so she she runs out of the house um after like turning on all the burners and on like disconnecting the gas line um and she runs out and there's this like again this like awkward long shot of the house and i also thought it was gonna i was like i was ready for an explosion but it doesn't happen like he definitely knows how to play up expectations with that stuff and like i do appreciate that um but i was surprised that there wasn't like a massive explosion yeah, I was just surprised that they died by carbon monoxide poisoning. Especially because, like, they can get her fingerprints and stuff. I mean, I well, guess her fingerprints would already be in the house. Yeah, and it felt like, to me, she's older, she doesn't have a lot of money, she has nowhere to, she doesn't really have anywhere to go, her grandson just died. I feel like she was like, I have nothing left anymore, so fuck it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, my, um, my brain has like a bad reaction when i see that actress um oh really (laughs) yeah because she plays yolanda saldivar um in the selena movie oh okay so anytime i see her i get upset her name is guadalupe Ontiveros. Okay. And I just found out that she died. Like, I didn't oh, know yeah. that. She died in 2012. So, R.I.P. Mm. She's a great actress. That's why um, I have a visceral reaction <laughs> when I see her. Because she did a great job as Yolanda Saldivar. The only person that Mexicans hate almost more than Trump. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah, I hated that fucking kid. Um, I didn't expect... I don't know why I didn't expect, given these movies. I didn't expect that the whole family would be killed, except for Scooby. Um, So, I was... (laughs) I literally Uh, wrote DERANGED in all caps with six exclamation points when that happened. (laughs) I was, I'll say, pleasantly surprised. (laughs) I know, I was... He, lo- he lured me into a false sense of security that, like, okay, this, like, fucked up shit's happening, but it's not gonna be, like, anything, ta- like, anything that big. And then <laughs> the whole family gets gassed. And I was like, good lord. I know. It's like, why didn't we expect that? And you know what? We should have guessed something like that would happen because they're talking about um, Holocaust survivors, like, in the beginning. <gasps> I didn't even make that connection, Dax. I just thought of it right I blocked now. that out of my head, I think, because that conversation at the dinner table about how they're survivors of the Holocaust, and if Hitler hadn't happened, they wouldn't have come to America. I was like, I'm going to dig out my own eyeballs with my fingernails. <laughs> I know, I couldn't believe that, Mom. But like, yeah. Scooby is like, so what you're saying is that because some of our, like, what did he say? Your Zeta, she said your, your Zeta Z- is... Is it Zeta? 
Well, because she was like, your grandpa came here, but his cousins died in the Holocaust, so your your grandpa's a survivor. And then he was like, so you're saying that, basically saying like, oh, so without Hitler, we wouldn't have come here, and you wouldn't have met dad and had us. Yeah, and he's like calling her out, her logic out, because he's like, so anybody who was alive at that time was a survivor, basically. She's like, yep, we're survivors. And then his dad's like, Because if we had been alive at that time, like, what the fuck? I just, I have a lot of questions about Salons as a person just sitting here writing this dialogue. Like, where does this come from? You know what, I just have so many questions. I have so many questions about the inner workings of this mind, this man's mind. Um, And there's also, another thing I wanted to point out was a lot of his movies have so much weird homophobia. Like, this movie, too, has weird ounce of homophobia. Where they're like, I think Scooby's gay. I think Scooby's gay. And they're like, I wouldn't be mad if he was gay, but... And then, you know... And then they have Scooby getting a blowjob from his friend, which... I didn't truly understand why that is necessary in this movie. I mean, if I don't care, but I'm just like, what was the point of that? Anywho, um... <laughs> I just have a lot of questions about, like, a lot of the underlying homophobia in a lot of his movie, in Salon's movies. The three I've seen, I'm just like... What, what, what? And we found out he's not gay, so. Yeah, I, I took that part out of our recording, um, of Welcome to the Dollhouse. Yeah, because we thought that he was gay based on this interview that he gave to Out Magazine, um, but then when I went back and tried to find... I was, like, fact-checking all the things. I had to take some other stuff out because I couldn't find the um, sources anymore. Should have saved them, but whatever. Um, anyway, when I was fact-checking that, <laughs> I found another, like, out.com article, and in it he explicitly says that he's not gay, but he's, like, he never says never, but he's, like, I'm not gay. And he is married, I believe. To a woman. <laughs> to be clear. That just, because like, really puts a lot it, of other things in weird perspective yeah. that is confusing and makes me question him as a person a little bit. I'm sorry to say it, but I'm gonna say it. I just, I, he, he gives me a little bit of weird sus energy. Yeah, and to clarify why we bring that up, it's because we thought that some of the homophobia was, like, um... <sighs> kind of throwing it back at straight people who think that gay people are like offended by was like certain depictions and words and stuff um but then we found out he was not gay and it was just like oh so you're just using these words huh like yeah that's the thing and like we were talking about yeah and, like, we were talking about this also in reference to, like, his use of pedophilia and how he's, like, trying to throw it back at people. Like, oh, you're going to call gay, pe- gay men, like, pedophiles. Well, like, fuck your shit. Like, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. But now it's like, hmm. I'm not quite so sure now. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not not sure. And I know the next movie we're watching also has pedophilia in it. So I'm just like, Yeah, hmm. Yeah, it's, like, hard. It's hard to say. It's hard to, like get a grip on like where his mind is because he doesn't really tell you he's just making fun of things and then you have to figure out if he means it or not and i don't think that he does 
I don't know. It's just really weird. It's it's just awkward, and it's it's to make you feel awkward. But at a point, it's like, all right, well, what else? And that, ha- like, I've seen the next movie, um, so I know what's going to happen soon. Um, but in this one, I was just like, all right, like, where are we going with this? <laughs> it was kind of getting on my nerves, to be honest. <laughs> I, I would say that I liked this movie, and... and definitely more than you did um you seem to really dislike it (laughs) i hate it i just like i think i like went from the happiness high to this and i was like oh Eh." if i had to guess that's probably how a lot of people felt when this came out and they were like okay we thought we were getting like something similar to happiness but we got something just it's kind of mean-spirited and i know that's funny because they say that in the movie one of the critiques that vi selma blair's character gets is that she's mean-spirited but this one does feel more mean-spirited this one does feel much more mean-spirited this one feels much more like uh, punching down isn't perhaps the right word but it just feels much more angry happiness like confrontational yeah it it, like i think you said this it just feels much more reactionary to critics about happiness i think and just like throwing more of it in your face that's like oh my dude (laughs) sometimes i just want to grab filmmakers and be like stop reading reviews please for the love of god and stop making movies about (laughs) bad reviews please for the love of god like stop Yeah, I don't I'm know. saying this as a person who writes film reviews and is friends with filmmakers. So, like, obviously, I have a very different perspective. But please, guys, <laughs> I know it me. is funny how everyone who writes reviews, including myself, we're all like, get make your own opinion. Like, read the reviews, sure, but like after you see it, we're all. I like, know. I'm like, don't I know read them. Supposed to be here to help you, but like, I write my reviews to help you decide to go see it. Not like I don't know. That's my my perspective when I write a review. Is like I want to make someone compelled to go see this movie or not see it, depending on my feelings. But like, but also like that's it's so hard i think for people to realize like reviews are so fucking subjective and it's like just because it's in the new york times or the washington toast does not mean it's like the word of god and i think a lot of people i think have a hard time separating that a little bit but i think that's also just like the way that criticism has become a little bit too um by a little bit i mean a lot and so it's just very interesting to to watch that especially like the longer that we're both writers i feel like it's so fascinating to watch that shift and all all that shit yeah i mean you need to make your own opinion and you need to watch things for yourself um and i would say don't idolize anybody just because you're a good writer doesn't mean you have like good opinions (laughs) ain't that or fucking truth or sometimes, <laughs> just because you're a loud bad writer doesn't mean you have good opinions either. Yeah. Just because you have a lot of Twitter followers and you yell a lot on the internet does not mean you're a critic. Oh, we should stop. Um, <laughs> this, has been, this has been Dax and Mary Beth ranting about the industry. <laughs> We're now canceled. Um, and we have no contacts. (laughs) That actually made me laugh in the movie where Scooby's like, so you have contacts. Because that's so vague, but I know what he means. I know. (laughs) I literally just got off the phone with someone who said I have some contacts. (laughs) 
I don't know. I, the second one, I feel like I got more out of the first story, even though it's more mean-spirited and confrontational. Um, the second story, I'm like, all right, I I know he just wants to be famous, and I guess at the end of the day he will get famous because his whole family is dead, um, and he's going to be on the news and stuff. Um, but I don't know. I just... I don't know. I, you know, (laughs) I do. I definitely do. And I mean, like, I just, I was chuckling at the very obvious thing at the the beginning of this segment, like John Goodman's character, like, please don't exploit us for like your filmmaking. And then at the end, the entire thing has been an exploitative examination of this kid. And now his family's dead. You know what I mean? Like, yep. And they come back for more with their cameras. (laughs) Yeah. Like, not just, like, apologizing, but, like, have the camera on him. And, again, like, you know, if the movie is called Storytelling, it's obviously about storytelling. But I think there was something, like, a kernel of something obvious, but, like, interesting in a way. But it was still pretty obvious. Like, we all, it's like, I don't know, as soon as they were like, we're gonna make a documentary about this one kid, I'm like, you're gonna fuck with him. Like, you're gonna make a a mean movie about this kid. Because this kid is, like rich and wears like a communist party of russia shirt with like the sickle and hammer around like <laughs> it just yeah and he's kind of just like directionless and like not well, and the he... brightest but talks kind of in a pretentious way but just like he's also just like such an inter- I guess such an interesting representation of upper middle class kids who are like i don't need to go to college i'll just become a famous talk show host like it's this naivete and not even just upper middle class kids but it has a lot to do with having wealth and thinking that like oh i can just do this and follow my dream and it'll happen rather than like i have to work my ass off for something to get what i want it's like i can just do it and i think yeah this segment captures like that that dynamic of being a teenager but the teenager of 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 privilege and so you think you can just get whatever you want and he gets into princeton because his parents make it like someone makes a big donation so like i'm just saying like it's yeah, just he's like it's pretty weird because i got a 200 something on my verbal and like it was like um yeah and he then wrote, it fuck this shit the in the scene. bubbles like he wrote fuck this yeah. shit in the bubbles he didn't even try which like i feel <laughs> I, standardized testing is bullshit but yeah, I never took my SATs. You didn't? No. Congratulations. <laughs> my it sister was the did, worst. though. It was the worst. It was terrible. I hate, I'm so bad at taking tests. I was ever, and then everyone in my, like, I was friends with a lot of really smart kids who were really good at taking tests. And so they all got these incredible scores. And mine was fine. I don't even, I, I could not even tell you what my score was because I just, it doesn't, it, who gives a shit? Yeah. But I remember being so embarrassed about it, I wouldn't tell anybody. Oh wow! It wasn't even bad. I was just like, "Oh my god, I'm such an idiot!" And I went to I went to I was fine, but like I was so mortified by my score. And it was my um, what's the fucking one you have to take for grad school? I don't know. There's like a grad school standardized test you have to take, and I didn't do great on that one either because again, I don't do well with standardized testing, and I was like, "I'm fucked." I wasn't, but like, it's just. <laughs> It just causes too much stress. Anyway. Once again, yeah, Mary Beth talks stress. about her academic experience. 
so sorry. I don't mean to make this about me. No, it's fine. It's all, it's all bullshit is what we're both agreeing on. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never took them. I knew I was just going to go to county school and then transfer, which is what I did. Honestly, I literally wrote fuck college here. Like, I under I, I know that the importance of college i went to college and stuff but i grew up in a family that was so obsessed with academics that like if i didn't my brothers didn't go to college or like didn't follow the traditional like go right to college and they're not as good at school and so it's bad it was bad in my family about like college what you're supposed to do and i I was it was like hammered into my i was doing college prep in eighth grade oh wow like, my grandfather was, like, doing, did admissions for the Naval Academy, so he was, like, very driven to have me do well in college. It was insane. So this this film also kind of made me think about that a little bit in terms of, like, the emphasis placed on college and how much pressure is put on you, especially when you are of a certain bracket in the world and how the expectation of that. It is really funny that, like, his mom, he's like, I'm not going to go to college. And she's like, what are you going to do? He's <laughs> like, I know. He'll probably I, I, be fine. That's, But that's literally something my grandparents have said about my brother. Like, what is he going to do? I'm like, literally anything. Like, what are you talking about? He'll probably get a trade job and not have any student debt. Yeah, and honestly, good for fucking him. Like, Jesus Christ, like, don't do what I did and go to grad school and be in debt forever. Uh, oops. Anyway. <laughs> oh, God, and I have this horrible bill from Columbia hanging over my head. Uh, uh, dude, um, it's Jesus. over over $18,000 for two classes. I, for two? Yeah. College is a fucking scam, everybody. I swear to fucking God. College is a motherfucking scam. And all of these jobs require you to have a degree in scare quotes. And it's just like. Go to a trade school. That's what go I tell to a trade the children. School. And if you don't know what you want to do, go to a community college. If you really want to have an academic experience, there is literally zero shame in going to community college for two years to figure your shit out and then transfer. Or not. But just like. Yeah. I wish I had not been so against the idea of community college. Again, like, it was classist of me. It was, like, not great of me as a person. And there ain't nothing wrong with going to community college. There ain't nothing wrong with not wanting to go to college. Like Doc said, go to a trade school. Figure out what you want to do. I just think that so much pressure is put on us as fucking 18-year-olds to make these massive decisions of, like, going into tens of thousands of dollars in debt going to college to like get a degree but you don't know what you want to do with your life and we're all and we get all fucked with student debt and like and crippling depression and going into fields that we don't like blah 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 and i just think it's <laughs> i think about this a lot <laughs> it's like i guess yeah, like, so do I. again my grandpa works in college admissions and talks about it all like works he volunteers and talks about it all the time and it frustrates me to no goddamn end like, he used to read applications for Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Like, help them read applications. And he was telling me, like, what these kids did. And I'm like, I'm going to kill myself. Like, I'm, like, not a person. These kids had, like... And, again, they're all rich. And, like, a lot of them were international students who were coming from wealthy families. 
And like, but it was like, I can play six instruments and I'm fluent in four languages and I've built a village in Africa. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, how old are you? <laughs> like, did yeah, you trust me. Learn? Those are all the people I fucking go to school with. That's right. Like, oh my God. Duh. You go to God fucking Columbia is one of the schools where you are like, hello, I am like one of like five people who have like actually had life experience outside of being very wealthy. <laughs> It is funny because, like, I look back on some of my stuff and I'm like, oh, I did do some stuff. But it is funny, like, um, and it's like, I always say, everyone is a Hermione Granger there. And also, mm-hmm. um, it's like the beginning of Legally Blonde where <laughs> it's like, uh, I was deworming orphans in Somalia or whatever the Oh fuck my god, yes! That's quite literally what that it is, is like. So- that was like my, and that was like grad school for me too, because I went to University of Chicago. I was a little bit older. I had just, I had like a couple years of professional experience, and a lot of the people in my program had gone right to grad school from college, and they were all from very wealthy families, and it was very interesting. Like our very different approaches to uh, school. Yeah, yeah. Put it lightly. Trust everybody. You like, you at me. know this deeply. <laughs> deeply, you understand this probably even more so than I do because you're an undergrad. Too. You because you are like in undergraduate classes, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so you got like the fresh, rich eighteen-year-olds who have no perspective. Oh my god! I was fucking. I'm pretty sure I talked about this bitch on the podcast before, but I was like terrorized by this like fucking evil British like young child basically in my one class how old are you like i i am an elder to you i'm just kidding i know i was like (laughs) ma'am please you're five years old you had no life experience (laughs) i was like i am too old to have a fucking bully (laughs) leave me alone (laughs) anyway um let's talk fucking 30 years old there's nothing else to talk about yes No, it just—I use this as a vehicle to talk about my own academic trauma. <laughs> it's fine. The, I and I would also say for anybody who's like, should I watch this? Like, this one is the least disturbing. In fact, I, it's really not disturbing at all, except for there are so many slurs and stuff, and like, there's an it's implied very... child death. But there's—it's just like it's very shocking. But like. To shock. It's not, it doesn't have a purpose. Sorry, I'm just gonna say it. It's just like, it just feels like he's trying to <laughs> shock to shock. And it's just like, it's not a bad movie. It's just like, what's the point? You know? Yeah, I would still say, like, if I had to say yes or no, did I like it or did I not? I would say yes, I guess. Um, but I have problems with it. And I don't see myself watching it super often like it's definitely not like welcome to the dollhouse or happiness for me where i watch those all the time for better or worse you're already well you're sicko (laughs) (laughs) to an extent to an extent i'm just um just yeah i mean it's very heavy on racial slurs so i would skip the first one i would just skip i think the first one is the better story i don't agree with you our first fight (laughs) <laughs> but the first fight was when you were like stop showing me weird anime with prog rock in it <laughs> that like, wasn't even a fight it was a request <laughs> like please stop doing this to me <laughs> or you're 
fired from the podcast. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, anyway. no, I I liked the first story better, even though it was shorter and like didn't have as much to it. I don't know. I just appreciated it more. Well, that's yeah. I mean, there's no wrong answer here. <laughs> the wrong answer is saying you deeply enjoyed this movie. <laughs> just kidding, sort of. Anyway, someone, someone told me how much they love this movie, and I was like, "Oh, I'm so excited!" And then I watched it, and I was like, "Uh." <laughs> oh, I wonder who that was, because I would like to hear like what their thoughts were. They didn't share anything other than it's one of their favorites of his. Very interesting. I wonder yeah. Why? Like, why this one of all of them? Because even the next one that we're gonna watch is like. At least it's super interesting. Like, it's really fucked up. But, um, like, at least there's, like, a lot to it, you know? This one felt more like, here's what I'm saying, and this is how I'm saying it. Okay, well, bye. Like, that's really how I felt. And maybe it would have been more cohesive and just all around better if there was that third section that didn't get cut off. Yeah, I know. I really wish I had seen, like, ugh. Because kind of, it ends kind of, like, abruptly, almost. I it watched does. a different version than you did. Um, but I it still probably ended the same exact way. I think the only difference would have been the first story. Yeah. Oh, well. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. So, um, ready to wrap up, I guess. I'm ready to wrap it up. Okay. Well, for next week, we're going to be watching palindromes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can't even... I If I tried to explain what palindromes was without use of Wikipedia, I don't think I'd get very far. So. Okay. I don't know anything about it other than there's pedophilia in it. <laughs> I read oh, a letter box. I let I let a letter box review that was one sentence that was like, "Why does this guy love pedophilia so much?" And I was like, "Oh God." That was a good question. Um, yeah, it's um, well, you'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll see. Sure. And if if you're listening and you don't want to see, well, we'll tell you <laughs> next time next week. So thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Watch Once Never Again, where we struggle through Todd Salons' work. <laughs> I struggle, not struggle. This has been a fun series. Just but, for um, this one. Just for this one. But um, if you have thoughts or feelings about Todd Salons you want to share with us, if you have ideas for other series that we should do in the future, you can let us know via email at wonapodcast at gmail.com or you can let us know on Twitter at wonapodcast. You can also follow the two of us on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Daxy Bobbin. Uh, so thank you everyone again for listening. Please uh, rate and subscribe for all of those good algorithm points. And we will see you next week with Palindromes. Bye. Bye.